0: co-wrote a song called Mercy Came a Running. It's a powerful song. I, I I debated just simply letting them play it back there, but it, it, it talks about the fact that mercy, if we could personify mercy, you can be seated for a moment. If we could personify mercy, it says once there was a holy place, an evidence of God's embrace and can almost see Mercy's face pressed against the veil. One, one writer, and I don't remember exactly who it is, I, but I've heard it. And see, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, a, was a, a box made of acacia wood and covered in gold. On top of that box was a was a lid, or at least a, a, another lid on top of a lid. That they called the mercy seat. On that were two cherubims, two angels, angelic beings, and their wings would, would you know, cross over and cover. Uh, that was, was called the mercy seat. That was the place that God symbolically dwelled. It was that place where once a year the high priest could go behind the veil. Carrying the blood of the atoning sacrifice, place it on that mercy seat and there they could be assured that God had forgiven their sins and pushed back the punishment for the Bible says the wages of sin is death and so it is that he pushes that back for a while. And it is that if you could personify mercy for thousands upon thousands of years, mercy was captured, contained in a 15 foot by 15 foot by 15 foot room, what we call the holiest of holies. It's that place behind the veil that was 15 foot wide, 15 foot long, uh, you know, or deep and 15 foot tall and that was where mercy was and while we can see in a, in a, a true student of the old testament and a true student of god recognizes that mercy is present all throughout the bible say amen there is an understanding that mercy was not maybe quite as accessible at least visually as it is right now to you and i and there's been sermon after sermon preached that when jesus died on the cross the earth began to shake the sun hid its face and the veil of the temple was rent And there is, a again, a symbolic gesture that when that temple was rent, you didn't have to go through a high priest to go behind the veil or or let a high priest go behind the veil to to have atonement for your sin. But now, because Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the lamb for sinners slain had died, you and I now have unfettered, free access to the presence of God. I'm thankful I'm thankful because I don't know about you but there'd be a lot of dead sheep and a lot of dead cows and a lot of dead turtle doves and whatever else I could have found to sacrifice if I still lived under Mosaic law and every time I sinned there would have to be blood shed Because contrary to what some believe, it was not, Brother Harpo, and you know this, it was not just a one-time sacrifice on the day of of, of atonement. That was just a blanket sacrifice for all of Israel. But Adam, if you sinned, it was your responsibility to get a lamb, to get a bull, to get a turtle dove, and with that one sin, that one time you sinned, something had to die. You had to bring it to the priest. The priest would slay that sacrifice. Blood would be poured on the brazen altar and, and, there, were, and there were other things that happened. But guess what, Adam? If the next day you sinned, because you're a bad guy, something else had to die. Some of us would have spent our entire day and I'm not suggesting in fact, Romans tells us, should we sin because of the grace of God is so easily acceptable, God forbid, or are you crazy? But 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 the understanding is, mercy is more accessible, it seems. But because of that, we have lost that presence of God, if you will, because it seems that it's so free, it's so easy. So maybe... We don't have to do all the stuff they had to do in that first tabernacle but I'd like to tell you and I've been telling you for the last month or two that there is a process that was laid in place in the tabernacle that will be a great guide and in fact the I think it's the book of Hebrews that says the Old Testament is merely a teaching moment or a a, a schoolmaster to the new covenant. And so God said, when Jesus came down to earth, Jesus said, I've not come to do away with the law. I didn't come to tell you the law doesn't matter anymore. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. And so if blood was required for the Old Testament covenant, then the blood of Jesus was required to, to allow you and I to have access to the new covenant. If there had to be a sacrifice, Jesus became the sacrifice. If there had to be a high priest, Jesus became the high priest. Again, please, read the book of Hebrews. It just simply tells you that Jesus is better than every prophet, better than every Old Testament covenant. But it's not just that he's better, he fulfilled all of that. But if Jesus had to walk the same path that they had to walk in the tabernacle, maybe we should walk that same path as well it's not that we need to build the tabernacle it's not that we need to build the temple it's not that we need to go back and sacrifice but there is a path and we've spent some time talking to you about how do we get into the presence of God the ark, and, and again, I apologize. I hope you don't get bored of it. I just every every service, and I'm thankful for it. Every service we have brand new people. Every service we have someone who hasn't been here. And so let me just remind you that Moses got this plan from God. Moses walked up there to the top of Mount Sinai, and God gave him. We we you know, we we see the Charles Heston holding those tables of stone. And yes, there were tables of stone, but there was a lot more than just two tables that God gave Moses. God gave Moses a very detailed plan. This is how you're going to be in my presence. So he said, first off, you need to... now. Well, first off, he talked about the Ark of the Covenant because God has a tendency to get to the heart of the matter first. But the idea was there would be a 50-foot wide, 100-foot area that they would call the tabernacle. It was surrounded 100 100 feet on each side, 50 feet front and back. That was a linen curtain that they had. They had special stands. They had poles. That curtain would go. It acted as a fence, and it enclosed what they would call the tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle was a 45-foot-long, 15-foot-wide tent that is the tabernacle proper. That tent, that 45-foot-long, 15-foot-wide tent was divided into two spots. The first spot, the the, the first, which is what they call the holy place, was 15 foot wide, 30 foot long, and then there was a veil, and then behind that, the holiest of holies, 15 by 15. As we've been talking, the priest who, its ultimate desire, the priest, the high priest, once a year had the opportunity to walk behind the veil and be in the presence of God. But in order to do that, he could not bypass any of it. There was a process, there was a God given uh, uh, plan. This is how you get into the presence of God. First, you stop and you sacrifice on the brazen altar. Because there is no presence of God without a sacrifice. There is no coming boldly into the throne room of God and just think you can do whatever you want to do and bust into the presence and bust into the chamber of God if you haven't first stood at an altar or knelt at an altar, if I could say, and say, God, the man that I am is not who I want to be. My sins, that they grow. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. And yes, we sin and we have sinned. I know we have after Holy Ghost comes. And if you walk and tell me today that that you got the Holy Ghost and you've been baptized and you've never sinned, I'm not even going to listen to you. Because I know it's impossible. Because we're human and the thoughts come in and the actions go out. Now we can learn to get further and further apart from our sin, if that makes sense. Guys, I've been in your shoes before sometimes it thinks like every time I come to church I had to repent. I'd like to tell you that if you'll live for God, it'll get easier as you grow older and you mature and you, 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 you get that, what we call that sanctification becoming more like God you'll get to the place where you can say hey, God you helped me today I didn't fall to that temptation but there's not a man, woman, child here today that says I'm perfect and so it's required that we stop at that brazen altar and we lay our flesh down And we say, God, forgive me. But as you can imagine, a sacrifice, it's not a a pretty thing. The sacrifices, they didn't go to the I've been because our our church, we have a a certified kitchen, we have a basically a restaurant license. And that restaurant license allows me to go and allows the church to go to places that you can't go, you know, just anybody. Down in the city, there's a it's called the restaurant depot. It's where most of your restaurants get a lot of their food. It's really cool. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. You can walk in there, and they got whole sheep. They're frozen. Whole sheep, everything that you can get. Whole goat, slabs of beef you can buy. But that's not how it was. You didn't just walk into the freezer and get you out a nice little steak and come bring it to the altar and put that nice little steak on the altar. It's not how it worked. You had to drag an animal that may have heard another animal just get its throat slashed. And that animal is pushing with everything it has. And you're pulling it. And there was a death that had to take place. There was blood that had to be shed. And it was a very messy thing. And the priest, it's not enough just that you sacrifice. It's not enough that you lay that flesh down. But there was an understanding that there was a golden laver next, a, a a place where they could wash. And it was the priest's job. Before they entered into that tent, that tabernacle, they had to cleanse their hands. They had to cleanse their garments. They had to wash away the remainders of that sacrifice. There was a cleansing that took place. When, and only when, that priest had washed himself was he allowed to pull the flap of that tent back and enter into that place that was There on one side, the candlestick gave the only light in that. A candlestick that had oil in the seven branches. And it was the priest's duty or a priest's duty every morning and every night to make sure there was oil in that lamp so that the fire and the light of Jesus, the light of God's presence never went out. And over on the other side, there was a table of showbread that, as long as that priest was in that holy place, he, he didn't want to just leave and go to McDonald's because that would have necessitated him to stop by the altar and stop by the laver. And so there was a place where he could partake of holy bread, reminiscent of the word of God give me this daily bread. There in front of the, the veil was a small altar of incense. And the incense that was burned on that, the Bible says, was of the utmost care in its its construction. It was an incense that would be one of the most beautiful fragrances that any had ever smelled. But it was never allowed to be used for human purposes. You couldn't go to the the department store and get you some Odoo Tabernacle incense. Those of you who don't know what that means, that's fancy perfume. You couldn't go there and say, Oh, this is for me. This incense was reserved for a holy God. This incense was reserved for a a God that that was sovereign and amazing and powerful and incredible. It's part and parcel why Mary took an alabaster box of ointment, precious spikenard, that represented a year's wages. Read in your Bible, it says it was 300 denarii. A denarii was, was basically a day's wage for, uh, for for the average person there. So it works out to be a year's wage. I'm not asking you how much you make, but right now I want you to get in your mind what your W-2 said last year. And that's what that bottle of perfume cost. And Mary didn't come to the feet of Jesus and just dab a little bit on Jesus' feet and say, I'm going to take the rest of it with me. Instead, the Bible says she broke it. And it's more than just breaking the seal. She broke that alabaster box. What she was saying was, I'm going to give you everything and I'm not going to withhold anything. This is not for my glory. This is not for my consumption. This is not for me at all. It's for you. And it was representative. I don't know if they caught the corollary... Uh, there in that, that, that house. But Jesus did. There's some incense going up to the king of kings. There's some incense going up to the priest. There's some, or, or to the high priest that's been touched by the feelings of our infirmities. But it was then and only then when they had done all of that that they could slip behind that veil one man, one day a year and stand there in the presence of God. This was the ultimate goal for the children of Israel. For if that man, that high priest, did not get into the presence of God one day a year, then the rest of, of Israel would have had no chance for atoning sacrifices and the blood to be poured on that altar for them, and they would have been lost. And so even though they couldn't go back behind the veil, they d- desperately desired one meaning one to go behind the veil. It was I, I told the, the, the you know some before service that this is the easiest sermon if you will that I could ever preach because it's real simple. Uh, you know the we, we talked about the ark or the, the the altar of sacrifice what it represents. We talked about the laver and we told you the laver was made and melted from the the bronze mirrors. Of the women, meaning that, that they, they melted it down, and when the priest would bend over, it could see its ref, his reflection. And, and it's, it's, it's symbolic of when I want Jesus to cleanse my life, I want to lean over and say, I don't want to see Brandon Paul Buford, I want to see Christ in my life. If you keep seeing me and all of my failures, then I've not stopped at the altar long enough, and I haven't been washed in his blood long enough. I want them to see Christ. But the Ark of the Covenant, it represents the presence of God. Lean over to your neighbor and says, that's it. There's not much more I could tell you there. But, but it, it is a little bit more than that, Brother Justin. Brother Justin said, since I told him that, he could just leave right after he sung because I've already given him the, you know, the message. But it's more than just that. But it's not more than just that. How you like that for some politician double speak? some interesting things that begin to take place. So you know, the tabernacle. The tabernacle existed all the way up until the death of David and into his son Solomon's reign as king. David had a desire to make a permanent house of God that was not a tent. All of the things that, that, that were there in the, in, the, in the tabernacle, they were designed to be movable. There were little rings on it and they could stick a stick through it and pick it up. And you've seen pictures of them carrying the ark and... and, and I, 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 in my Bible reading today my, Just my daily devotional I started reading the book of Numbers And while Numbers if you're not careful Can be kind of boring Because it's just a lot of genealogies And it's a lot of, 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 of uh, uh, you know, census taking How many people But I want you to When, when you get into it Some of you go, go and read it tonight When you begin to read the first I think it's first five chapters It talks about number the Levites Remember they're the ones that take place And it tells you how many Levites it took To carry all of the stuff and the trappings of the tabernacle Thousands Because it was heavy One person grabbed one pole Another person grabbed one of the bases. There had to be some that would carry the ark. There was some that carried, I mean, they had to have enough oil to keep the lamps lit. And so they had to carry that. All of it was done. And it was designed to be movable. But David, he desired to make a place where God didn't have to get up and move every time Israel left. And he longed to make a more permanent place. But David, because of the war and because of the blood that was spilled, God said, David, I I can't let you be the one that creates and builds this. You can get all of the material, you can design it even if you want, but I'm gonna relegate it to your son, Solomon. Solomon comes. And Solomon, when you read 1st or rather when you read uh, 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 First Chronicles you begin to see some of the things of, of Solomon's life and, and it's just incredible the brilliant and the wisdom that God gave him and he begins to get the material ready and he begins to build it and they build the most fascinating amazing structure that possibly has ever existed in this world today Solomon's temple if you begin to read into it you find the dedication of Solomon's temple was an incredible experience the presence of God descended the presence of God filled the entire house the the, the place and, and it was built in the same format if you will it was just now permanent there would have been a holy place there had been a holiest of holies. There was the altar. There was all that. And the Bible says the presence of God came down. And it was so powerful and so incredible that the doors of the temple began to shake and move in the presence of God. The priest could not even enter in for a period of time because God's presence was so strong. It was credible. It was amazing. Now, if some of you have more history knowledge than I do, then... I, I'm not going to tell you that everything I'm about to say right now May be 100% accurate Anytime you begin to look into the history there, There's always going to be something you miss But I was looking at one historical account And during that it, told me, it tells me that From that period of the first temple Solomon's temple If I understand correctly It existed perhaps for some 410 years According to the Talmud During that time There were 18 high priests. The high priest, remember Aaron, he was, he was Moses' brother. He was the tribe of Levi. He was the first high priest. And then it went to his son. There was one high priest. There were multiple priests that could do other things, but there was only one high priest. And he served basically for his lifetime. I think they had to wait till they were 30 years old If I understand how numbers Begins to record it But they, 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 they served their lifetime When that priest died It went to his son And there were 18 high priests, priests In the 410 years And God's presence was there And it was wonderful And it was incredible The problem is There was a second temple period that came 420 years And there was more than 300 high priests something began to happen Israel began to slide Israel began to fail Israel began to do the things that God commanded them not to do. Israel began to follow after idols. And because of that, God had to bring them into captivity with Assyria and Babylon and Persia. And because of that, the, uh, the temple of Solomon was torn down and the, the trappings of the temple were stolen. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant it has gone. Whether they stole it or they hid it, nobody really knows. But the truth is, it's not around right now. Later on, as you get to Ezra and Nehemiah, after that time of captivity, Ezra comes back with some remnants, and he's there, and and he begins to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah is there, begins to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They begin to relay the foundation of Solomon's temple, but there's no way they don't have any money. They don't. They're not like Solomon, who had. I mean, when you read, there's a in in the in the first part of Solomon's reign, there's a chapter that tells you how much a day they 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 it, it requ- required for Solomon's palace to operate how many cuz cuz they had to feed all of Solomon's family they had to feed all of Solomon's court they had to feed all of the army and all of that and it's crazy thousands of animals every day were required to feed Solomon's palace Solomon's rich Ezra's just a an exile coming home. They can't build it. They begin to lay the foundation. And some people are excited that the tabernacle or the temple's being rebuilt. Others who remembered Solomon's glorious temple, they're weeping and crying because it's not like it, but something is different. It might look like the temple, it might have even some altars and stuff, but behind the veil, there was no ark. There's no ark. Ezra's temple morphs into Herod's temple. The temple you would have seen around Jesus' time. It was a little bit grander, it was a little bit bigger. But again, if you could get behind the veil, there was no ark. And, and one of the one of the things I've I've heard all my life that when the priest went behind the veil, that uh they 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 had a well, first off, the priests had these bells uh and and, and things around the bottom. You can read that in the word of God, they had these bells that everywhere the priest went, they would jingle and and Part of it is worship. I've also heard it preached, and maybe Brother Keith, you have, that, you know, if they were in the Holies of Holies and everyone heard it stop, they, they knew he died or something. And I've heard it been preached that they, they would tie a rope to the priest's ankle when he went behind the veil so that they could pull him out because nobody else was allowed in there. And, and to be honest, I could never rectify that with the Bible. So I kind of thought that maybe that was just what they, you know, old wives' tale, kind of an a, a, a urban legend until you begin to realize that there came a time where basically uh, uh, there there was in 290 years there was over 300 priests high priest brother Herod, that's one a year or even you know more or less whatever you call it and then you begin to realize how far Israel had fallen into idolatry. And here's what happened. They had, become, uh, they had become priests that were profaning the house of God. And they laughed at God. And they stole the sacrifices. And they did things wrong. And I'm kind of convinced now. And, and, and some of the Talmud in Jewish history tells me that they started dying. Because they entered into the presence of God un, uh, uh, unclean. And so they finally got tired of figuring out how do you get the dead guy out. If God killed a, a user who touched the Ark of the Covenant before it fell off a, a, a cart, how much more do you think he's going to thump some high priest that brazenly walks into his house and doesn't think about what it takes to be in his presence? And so they begin to drag them out, but what happened is, Ezra's temple and Herod's temple became a place that had all of the, the trappings of the temple and the tabernacle, but no presence. It reminds me of the Bible verse that said that, that you can have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. that they got to the place where they could go through the motions but there was no move of God. In between the Old Testament and the New Testament, a lot of your Bibles may even have a page that just says 400 silent years. During the Old and the New, there were 400 years of no prophetic word being recorded. There was no word from God going, why? Because they did not know how to get into the presence of God. So... It begs the question, if it matters so much back then, does it still matter today? And I tell you unequivocally, yes, it matters how you get to the presence of God. Somebody listen to me right now. There is too much uh, 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 staying at the altar. There's, and and I, you need to repent if you've sinned. You need to put your flesh on the altar. But there is way too many people that never get past the altar. There's some people that may get to the place of cleansing but that's as far as you go because out here, remember in that court natural light If it's raining, you got wet. If it's sunny, you got hot. If it's snowing, you were cold. Out here is the physical. Out here is what I do. Out here is what I can handle. And there's far too many people that live their entire life and they say they love God and they say they want God's presence, but they never leave the natural and walk into that tabernacle where God's Spirit is. I dare say there's a lot of repenting and even a lot of asking God to cleanse you, but you haven't ever cracked the Bible and you're not reading the Word of God and you're not letting the light of God's presence illuminate your path and shine a light to where you're going. I'm trying to help somebody. Don't stay at the altar. Don't stay at the labor. Don't just be a consumer of God's Word. Don't just let the light be there, but there has to be a desire that says all of this is needed and all of this is required but there is one thing that I desire of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of God. Yes, but it's more than that, that I may dwell in the presence of God all the days of my life. I was reading one writer today and he said, and he made a bold statement. He said, if you never get behind the veil, you might as well just backslide. Because all of that, if, if, if you stop at the altar, if you stop at the labor, if you stop at the word of God, if you stop at the light of God's spirit, if you even stop at just the worship because you didn't obtain it, you might as well be lost. Now, I, I, that was just one writer. I don't know that I'm going to say it quite that boldly. But what I will tell you today, is I have a gnawing hunger, a hunger that just it it it, it 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 just begins to consume me. It's not enough to go through the motions. It's not enough to hang out in the outer court where there's repentance and the washing of sin. It's not enough to move into the holy place. Now watch this. In that first. Area where the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. Listen to me. That's service to God. Okay? Out here, I'm a sinner and I need cleansing. You open that door and you walk into the temple or the tabernacle, and you 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 that somebody had to bake the bread that was put on the table showbread? Someone had to beat the the olives to make the oil that they put in the lamp. Somebody had to prepare the incense and they got to be a part of the service of God. And I will tell you that most likely, I don't know of too many people that stay out here. There's a lot that do but maybe not in this church but there's a whole lot of us that we get caught up in the service of God we get caught up in in, in making sure the bread's right and making sure the lamp is lit even making sure the incense is on fire and there's a lot of things you can do for God but I'm asking you Sunday school teacher, I'm asking you church greeter, I'm asking you usher I'm asking you piano player I'm asking you musician and praise singer when is the last time you said I'm not satisfied with just serving the Lord but there is they desire in me to get into the presence of God the most dangerous place you could ever be is when and, and I have seen it I have seen it in my own life I have seen it in the lives of friends I have watched more backsliding go on in the service of the Lord than outside the service of the Lord we got several of you young people that have made the decision and I'm, I'm proud of you and, and, and I'm proud of every one of our young people that, that, that go on to higher education but some of you have decided to make the step to go to a Bible college and Urshan College and, and, and do that but I'm going to tell you right now I've watched more of my friends that went to Bible college backslide because they got caught up in the service of the Lord and they never got into the presence of the Lord it's not enough Go through a few steps and say, I'm good right here. Thank you, Sister Buford for playing the piano. Thank you, Sister Morgan on the organ and Brother norm, wherever you is. I hear you, but I don't know. There you are, way back there for the bass and Sister Stacy on the drums and our, our praise. Thank you. But I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay in the service. I don't even want to stay in the preparation of a sermon as a pastor. I want the presence of God. But watch, watch. <clears throat> At the altar, you bring a sacrifice. At the laver, you bring your dirty garments. On the table of showbread, you bring bread. And that's what the priest did. I know they partook of it. I know there's a spiritual correlation, but they made it. They brought it. That, that candlestick, they brought the oil. They poured the oil in. That altar of incense before the veil, somebody had to grind it up and mix it Brother the sponsor. Something happens behind that veil. at that point. God is not wanting you to bring your issues. God is not wanting you to bring your problems. God is not wanting you to bring your diplomas. God is not wanting you to bring anything. He just wants you to walk in there unfettered and say, I've left some things at the altar and I've spiritually prepared some things in my life, but I'm coming into your presence and I'm empty and I'm here and I need your glory. Too many times we don't get into God's presence because we've got too much baggage and it can be good baggage and it can be bad baggage. The music, the worship, the prayer, the preaching, the devotions on your own time, all of that's good, but it ought to simply prepare you for walking into the presence. One writer, and I think honestly what I'm about to say anyone that's ever preached on the, the praying through the tabernacle and, and again this, the, the 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 skeleton of all of these is not mine I first heard it from brother G.A. Mangan and passed on to his family there in, in, in Alexandria, Louisiana I've watched so many of my pastor friends preach it and so there's a lot of commonality in the teaching and the lessons there's a lot that I've felt in our preaching that is directed to this church alone but one of the pieces of, of, of the lesson that I keep seeing somebody and, and again I don't know who, who was the first to come up with it but someone says that the Bible declares Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end what that means is the Alpha he's there at the altar of sacrifice but he's the Omega he's at the end at the Ark of the Covenant it wasn't an altar it was an Ark And if you're seeking the presence of God at an altar of sacrifice, that's a good place to start, but that's not where you're going to find Him. The altar is where you lay yourself down. The ark is where you walk into His presence. I'm not suggesting that you can't come up to this altar at the end of a service and be in the presence of God. That's not what I mean. This is what I'm trying to say coming to the presence of God, that Ark of the Covenant, it was not a place of sacrifice. It was a place of commitment, a place of communion, a place of fellowship, a place of intimacy. It's a place where God speaks to us and we listen. I I realize we don't have an Ark anymore. We don't even have a sacrifice, and I'm thankful because, again, there would be a lot of dead animals if I had to keep coming to an altar so it's a little bit hard because you can't, you can't just you know, walk up and kill something walk up and wash something walk over to a table of bread and eat it walk over to a candlestick and light it and incense no now it's spiritual Lord cleanse me Lord wash me Lord speak to me Lord illuminate my path Lord, you're awesome, you're sovereign, you're incredible. And then you slip into a place that if you've ever been behind the veil, if you've ever been in his presence you know what I'm talking about it's that place where God begins to move Exodus 33 says my presence will go with thee and I will give thee rest 1st Chronicles says glory and honor are in his presence 2nd uh, 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 Chronicles it says that we, when this evil comes upon us I read this this morning and a sword a judgment pestilence or famine we will stand before this house and in thy presence and cry unto thee in our affliction and you will help and heal here. Psalms 9:3, When my enemies are turned back They fall and perish at thy presence Psalms 16 says Preserve me O God For in thee do I put my trust I could go on and on I could show you Psalms 140 Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name The upright shall dwell in thy presence I don't want to be satisfied with an outer court experience. I'll be honest. As a kid, as a as a young person, I spent too much time in the outer court. I you know you you walk in and you you come to church and you know you haven't lived the way you should. So all of church, the convicting of God's presence is there and the devil's condemnation is pulling and there's a big difference, my friend, between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is of the devil. Condemnation says you've sinned, you've broken the trust of God and he don't love you and you might as well walk out of this church because he don't care about you anymore because you broke his heart. That's condemnation. Conviction says I'm your father and I love you. And you got to make yourself right. You've got to admit that what you've done is wrong. And if you'll admit what you've done is wrong, I'll put my arms around you like the prodigal son and I'll say, welcome back home. That's conviction. But I've spent too many times as a young person and I can never hardly get anything out of the service because I had to always be in that outer court of the altar and the cleansing. I'm not satisfied with that. As I got a little older and little wiser and a little more mature and a little bit more able to hear the voice of God and let that conscience that he gave me be sharpened. Maybe I didn't quite make as many mistakes and it allowed me to come into the house of God and lift up hands and worship it allowed me to play my instrument and sing and preach and I got real good at the service of God. Don't get me wrong, the service of God is awesome. Nothing quite like it. The outside influences of the world are muffled. The ark, the, the, the tabernacle had a, a, several layers. It was beautiful on the inside. It was layers of linen and then progressively it got rougher and rougher until the outside was what the Bible calls badger skins. And there's a lot of controversy on what that badger skin was. But it was, it, it, you got in there and kind of the outside world was muffled and All of the chaos and cafophanie of the outside world, you didn't see it. And you were in in a holy place. The Bible says it was the holy place. You got to commune. You got the word of God and it was good. You got the light of God's presence. And there was an incredible aroma of incense and worship. Sometimes I got caught up in the goosebumps. And as one writer said, the holy shiver. And then I, held, I, I headed home and I was touched by God but I was not in His presence. Tonight that I might enter into His presence. The heart of the issue. The Bible started by telling Moses this is how you're going to make the ark. It's going to be 45 inches long. It's going to be 27 inches in its breadth, 27 inches in its height. Overlay it with pure gold. Then you're going to make a mercy seat 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Put two cherubims on it. That's where it starts. And it goes on to tell you all about the other one. Because God always starts at the heart. The Ark of the Covenant was the heart of the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was in the innermost place. The, it was the center of everything that tabernacle stood for. And the center of your life ought to be not the outer court. The center of your life should not be the service in the house of God. The very center of your life ought to be the presence of It's a heart issue. I've watched so many people walk away. And and there's a lot of excuses and there's a lot of reasons, but it all boils down to the heart. The seat of emotions. And the very first thing that people do when they walk away from the presence of God, or they walk away, is they, they remove themselves from His presence. I've watched people still serve in the house of God, but they've walked away from His presence. They still worship, but it's lost its luster. They still sing, but it doesn't have the same effect. They still sit and listen to the preaching, but it no longer moves them. It starts in the heart. It's hard to bring bitterness and hurt and anger and frustration into the presence of God and so instead of taking care of those emotions we just decide never to go behind the veil so we don't have to deal with it and we walk away from His presence but here's the thing we use the word backsliding I think everybody here knows what I'm talking about when we say backsliding in Buford's Greek it means you slid back is that fair enough? If you're in the presence of God and you slide back, where are you at? Well, I'm still trimming the wicks. I'm still putting the oil in the lamp. I'm still baking the bread and I'm still, I'm still partaking of it. I'm still mixing the incense. Everything's good. But the truth is, you've walked away from His presence. You walk back a little further, I'm, I'm still at the altar. I'm still. Asking God to cleanse me. But the reality is you've left His presence. I'm still singing on the worship team. I'm still teaching. I'm still greeting. I'm still working in the sound and media. I'm still coming to church. I'm still giving my tithes. I'm asking you, when's the last time you were in His presence? If all you're worried about is working for God, you gotta reevaluate it. If all you're worried about is killing and washing, and killing and washing and sacrificing and cleansing and sacrificing and cleansing, you've missed the point. The point of all of this is to be in his presence. And the beauty of it is this no longer do you have to go to the temple or tabernacle to be in His presence? No longer do you have to go to church to be in His presence. Because the Bible says that God does not dwell now in a building or tabernacle or tent made by human hands. But instead, He desires to inhabit in the heart of every person. And so there's no excuse anywhere you are to not be in his presence. And so I've stood at the altar that doth so easily beset me I've laid them down oh God I want to encourage you right now to walk with me in your prayer let's put it into practice it goes something like this Father I desire to be in your presence but Lord I cannot be in your presence without first repenting So, God, you've examined my life. I can't hide anything from you. I can hide it from my Brienne, my spouse. I can hide it from my children. I can hide it from my parents. I can hide it from others. But, Lord, I'm an open book in you. You see into me. You see the the secret compartments of my heart. Lord, you know if I've sinned. You've searched me, oh God, and you've known my thoughts. Lord, I want to lay this sin. I want to lay this brokenness. I want to lay this unholiness down. Lord I'm asking right now that you'd forgive me of all my sin forgive me of all my transgressions forgive me all of my shortcomings and Lord I walk to the laver and I ask you your blood Lord I was 8 years old when I was baptized in the name of Jesus and that blood was applied to my life and I don't need to be rebaptized, Lord but I do need that blood to wash me because every day I pick up my actions, my words. God, wash them away, cleanse them. I want to be white as snow. I don't want to be dark. I don't want to, I don't want my sin to 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 cause me to be unholy. I want to be able to walk into your presence, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Cleanse me, I pray. I don't like what I see in my reflection. I'm seeing too much of the old me. God, cleanse me. Wash me. Oh God. I love your word. I'm doing my very best to read your word as I've never read it before. I'm doing my very best for it to be that daily bread, not just to read it because I got a sermon to preach, not just to read it because you know, I got to do something, but Lord, to, to get in your word, and, and, and I love your word, and oh, I'm learning so much, and it's speaking to me, and Oh God, that light of your spirit is illuminated so much. And when I put them together, it's amazing. Your spirit illuminates the word of God and your word illuminates your spirit and I'm beginning to get a better picture of you and I'm so thankful for that and it allows me now that I know you and I've communed with you and I've understood you, oh God, I can stand at this altar of incense and I have a better picture and a better view of who you are and I worship you because I've read your word and I worship you because you've shown me your glory. Oh, I let that incense go because you're incredible. Oh, but God, I want to slip behind that veil. And I want to slip behind that veil with righteousness that only comes from your cleansing blood. And Lord, I want to be in your presence. Hallelujah! I want to invite you whatever you have to do right now to help you navigate that path into His presence for some of you you might just easily be able to kneel at your seat bow your head, that's fine for others it would be better for you to leave your seat and make a move some of you may desire to come around this front and that's okay but I'm encouraging you right now I'm imploring you I'm begging you right now don't stay at the altar don't stay at the laver don't be satisfied with the word alone don't be satisfied with the light of the spirit alone don't even be satisfied with worship alone so whatever you need to do right now wherever you're seemingly stuck at and you need to walk a little further I want you to do that in the name of Jesus and I want you to let yourself slip into that holiest of holies and I want you to be in the presence of God I've done my best to teach you and to show you and I'm telling you it's not a length of time some of you could do all of those in five minutes and be in His presence others are going to have to take a little bit more time but I'm inviting you to join with me I'm inviting you to join with me in his presence, in his glory, in his power. There's never going to be a substitute for his presence, and you might as well get into it in Jesus' name. You are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. because of who